0: We rise for the reading of God's Word from Psalm, 7, Psalm 32. Hear now God's Word. The Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose uh, in, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you... Forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. may be seated. On Sunday mornings, it's not uncommon for me to receive a few text messages from fellow pastors, uh, from Pastor Volkoff or Pastor Neal or Pastor Hadding or others who uh, give some encouraging words, saying, I'm praying for you today, I'm praying for your church. And uh, this morning I received one. Someone knew I was preaching on this passage, and they gave me a quote that says, uh, it's from uh, Alan Jones, uh, Dean of the Episcopal Cathedral in, in San Francisco who says, "We live in an age, which in which everything is permitted and nothing is forgiven, and that uh, that's a good description of the, of the dilemma we have at this stage. Everybody is offended uh, at almost everything all the time, but we lack uh, in mercy and forgiveness." Many of us are walking around with unnecessary burdens. Some of the burdens are unconfessed and therefore unforgiven sins. Sins perhaps from the distant past. 20 years, 10 years, 40 years. Some are current. Some are what we mentioned last week that some have call secret sins or darling sins, recurring sins. And we're burdened by these, but other burdens come from sins that God has forgiven, but then we take them up again. God forgot them, but we can't let them go. Fundamentally, We don't believe what God said he would do. And third, we might have the burden of sins that are either unconfessed or unforgiven between us and other people. In the very first paragraph on the first page of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, the great allegory, he pens these lines. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lightened upon a certain place where was a den, and I laid me down in that place to sleep, and as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place, with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back." I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read, he wept, and he trembled, and not being able longer to contain, he break out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? For the pilgrim, there was only one place to find that righteousness, and that was at the foot of the cross. This was the crucial moment in Christian's life. You remember, he's the key character here in this allegory. It says, He ran thus until he come, came to a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with, even with the cross, his burden loosened off of his shoulders And fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. Shortly after that, Christian sang his song of deliverance, which is very reminiscent of Psalm 32. He says, here's his song. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall off my back. Must here the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Burden or no burden? How will you travel through life? Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 5 of this psalm. The blessedness or joy of the forgiveness of sins. Because sin is covered... It's no longer imputed to me in Christ. There is, therefore, no more deceit in my spirit. Blessedness or joy is the result. I've been set free. The effects of unconfessed sin, we read, or or when we hide our sins, when we are silent about our sins, there is both internal and external suffering. I'm depressed. He says he was groaning. I grow old before my time. It sucks the life out of me. The vitality, he says, is gone. And the only way of relief, he said, is, is by the confession of my sins. No more cover-up. I'm going to lance the boil. We're going to put it out in the open. I'm going to bring it before God. And then we saw that the result is the forgiveness. The forgiveness of my sins. God readily pardons my sins. And we saw five characteristics of forgiveness. First, it's an act of God's free grace. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he wanted to. It's a free gift. Second, God, in forgiving sin, remits the guilt and the penalty. I am not, not just set free. I'm not just let go. I am declared not guilty. It's as though I never, ever sinned. Completely washed clean. Forgiveness, number three, forgiveness of sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number four, before sin is forgiven, though it must be repented of, I need to turn away from it. I don't just go on in it. And five, God having forgiven sin, and this is the really good news, will not remember it. It falls Into that sepulchre. That bottomless pit if you will. It's gone. So David. That brings us to where we are today. Beginning in verse 6. David having personally experienced this joy. After his sin with Bathsheba in particular. Now turns. And he is going to instruct others. From his experience. Because of God's mercy to David. We have reason to be hopeful. Have you ever been fishing and not been catching anything? That describes every time I go fishing. <laughs> you look up and you notice someone is catching a string of fish on the other side of the pond near some stumps. I had this happen. To my grandfather when I was a kid. We went out on Cross Lake in Shreveport out in a little flat bottom boat, and we'd been out there for. Several hours, I don't even think we'd had a nibble. And we came upon an elderly woman sitting on the bank fishing, and we said, How, How's it going? And she reached in and pulled up a stringer of fish. Uh, and um, it reminds me of this story because uh, I think I, in my innocence or ignorance, said something like, Well, how'd you do that? We're not catching any. And she was a, a black lady. She says, Well, and I'm quoting her, "We, black, uh, you white folks try to go where the fish is and we black folks wait till the fish come to us. <laughs> so that was her wisdom and she was right. She had the fish and we didn't. Um, but when you see other people pulling fish out of the water, where do you want to go put your line? Right? And where are you going to go I, I noticed, yeah, you know, I'm thinking I saw where she was, and if I were to go back, I think that's where I would go is over there. I didn't want, We couldn't go over there then because she was there. but I would think, that, that must be where all the fish are, right? Well David, in effect, is saying, look at what I caught, and here's how I did it. So this psalm has led many others to cast their hope. ...on a merciful God, and they too found pardon for their sins. Perhaps some of you are burdened by the misery of your sins, along with the guilt that follows in their wake. Then I implore you to listen very carefully this morning as this psalm... ...remember this song that was written to be sung and meditated upon... ...tells you how you too can know the blessing and the joy of the forgiveness of sins. And so David David precedes his instruction with words of hope. The first thing he says in verse six is, For this cause. All the things we said last week, and he says, For this cause, having given his personal testimony concerning the misery of unconfessed sins, and the blessing of confessed and forgiven sins, David says there are instructions and applications, results and conclusions that could be drawn from his experience with all of this. And so the good news is this wasn't just an isolated incident between David and God. Um, moreover, David is the shepherd of Israel uh, and he wants to lead his flock beside the still waters. So first, he says, for this cause. And second, we see a really important word, everyone. These blessings of which he has spoken are available to all those who avail themselves of them and appropriate them for themselves. None of you are excluded from these blessings. All of your debts. Every last penny can be canceled. So, David will now instruct us on how we may obtain these blessings. We're going to look at four things the time of the blessings, the place of the blessings, the way of the blessings, and the results of these blessings. So, first, the time of these blessings. Verse 6 For this cause, everyone who is godly, Shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Now, godly ones are any who desire to have God's character as their own, and so the godly person shares the same opinions and judgments as God. He thinks like God does concerning his own sins. He has God's disposition, he has God's perspective. And so confession is simply us agreeing with what God has already said about our sins. And so David addresses only the godly, because they're the only ones who will pay attention to his instructions anyway. They're the, the godly ones are the ones who are listening, for example, right now. If you're sitting in the pew, sitting in the seat, and listening... With eagerness and attentiveness, that's an indication there's a godly heart. And if you're, your brain is somewhere else and distracted, that might be an indication that uh, you're not going to get the benefits of Psalm 32. So the ungodly have little or no concern over their sins. In fact, they don't share God's opinion and judgment about their sins. Their sins are not so bad in their estimation, and so why should they pray to God for mercy? If I don't think I have a terminal illness, then I'm not all that, you know, I can take it or leave it, if, whether or not there is a cure, something I can do about it. If I think I just have a head cold and it'll pass, that's the way a lot of people are about their sins. Oh, so everybody's a sinner. I'm just a sinner. It's no big deal. Everybody does it, so it's okay, right? Not if everybody's dying. Not if the wages of sin is death. It's not okay. And they're all going to die. Including you. To those who feel the sting of their sins and their guilt. Those who have been overtaken by their sins. David exhorts them to immediately pray for forgiveness. You... In fact, let me say this. The text again says, you shall pray uh, to God in a time when he may be found. And so I'd like to suggest something. If you are sitting here with the burden of your sins, unrelieved, you don't even have to wait for this sermon to be over. It doesn't have to wait till this afternoon or tonight or next week. It can happen right now. Though God promises pardon, what He doesn't promise is tomorrow. The time of mercy is limited. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found, call on Him while He's near, let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts, and let Him return to the Lord, and He will have compassion on Him and to our God. And he will abundantly pardon. If you feel the prick of this at this moment, now's a great time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Second Corinthians six, two, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The godly pray while the Lord promised, uh, while the Lord has promised to answer and the ungodly postpone their prayers until it's too late and the door of opportunity is shut. You need to act while you still have a felt sense of need. Otherwise, you might grow cold or calloused or comfortable in your sins. Hebrews 16:4. Let us therefore draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Draw near to God. Why are you delaying in coming to God for mercy and to have your debts canceled? Let me remind you, you're not too young to die. Pray to him now, today. And if not now, then when? Don't presume upon tomorrow. If you're a Christian, then you have already tasted his mercy You know what it's like to have had your sins forgiven and that burden lifted, but sometimes we start accumulating again. Do you remember how sweet the relief was, how instant it was? So why delay now? Why try to get comfortable with that snake in your sleeping bag? Do you think that if you lay still that you'll be able to relax enough to fall asleep? And forget that it's there. (laughs) The time when God can be found is now. Second, the place of these blessings, the end of verse 6 and verse 7, Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place, you shall preserve me from trouble, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. The same man who in verse 4 was oppressed by the presence of God, he was groaning, his vitality was being sapped, here he finds shelter in him. Just a few days ago, he was groaning all day long, and now he is surrounded by songs of deliverance. What a stark contrast. These floods of great waters threaten to come upon him. The relentless waves of his enemies who scorn him, of the ceaseless barrage and the downpour of his own conscience. The breaking dams that can't hold back the guilt the roar of thunder, and the flashes of lightning of God's judgment. But having fled to this high hiding place, in the arms of God's mercy, he finds safety. And that's where you can find safety. Everyone who prays. But a hiding place is not the same as your hiding place. Suppose you are out in the mountains and a storm is brewing and you become alarmed at the, by the approaching storm and you look for shelter and you spot a cave high up and it's a shelter. You see the cave. Uh, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you rush to make that shelter your shelter? You see, a cave, the cave was just a hiding place before, but once you entered it, it became your hiding place. Even though it might have protected a thousand others before you, it may as well not have existed unless you go into it. As far as you're concerned, it really doesn't matter how many other people found the hiding place and the shelter the blessings of the gospel in christ are such that they may be appropriated by you they must be appropriated by you in order for them to do their work there is no doubt again that christ is a hiding place he is a savior but is he your hiding place Only medicine that is taken can heal, and only money that is possessed enriches. I've read this before, but it stuck in my memory from years ago, many years ago. A friend uh, wrote a song called The Hiding Place. And it's great because the psalm talks about singing songs as a result. And so this is a song he wrote as an expression of what he felt when his sins were relieved. Mark, Re- Mark Webb wrote, Hail, sovereign love, which first began this scheme to rescue fallen man. Hail, sovereign free eternal grace, which gave my soul a hiding place. Against the God who ruled the sky, I fought with hand uplifted high, despised the mention of your grace, and too proud to seek a hiding place. Enwrapped in thick Egyptian night and fond of darkness more than light, madly I ran the sinful race secure without a hiding place. But thus the eternal counsel ran. Almighty love, arrest that man. I felt the arrows of distress, and I found that I had no hiding place. Indignant justice stood in view to Sinai's fiery mount I flew but justice cried with frowning face this mountain is no hiding place ere long the heavenly voice I heard and mercy's angel soon appeared he led me on with gentle pace to Jesus as my hiding place should seven full storms of thunder roll and shake this earth from pole to pole no thunderbolt shall daunt my face with Jesus as my hiding place. A few more rolling suns at most shall land me safe on Canaan's coast, where I shall sing the song of grace and see my glorious hiding place. The merchant in the parable of the pearl of great price would have been no wealthier for discovering the pearl had he not taken the steps to make that pearl his possession personally. If Christ is the physician, then go to him to be healed. If he is the pearl of great price, then sell everything you have to purchase it. If he is the hiding place, then run to it and be safe. Because this salvation and forgiveness is very personal. We must apply to Christ in person. And this involves much more than an academic understanding of forgiveness. A lawyer might understand the law, but the one being prosecuted or pardoned feels the impact of the law. Personal claims upon God are the joy of the spiritual life then the way of these blessings. Verses 8 and 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Spiritual guides must be overseers, and so David says, I'll instruct you, and then I'm going to watch to see if you do it. And as the king of Israel, David was concerned that those who were under his care, under his charge, who had suffered, in fact, even due to his sins, should also learn the lessons that he had learned. He not only would tell them, but he would follow through to see if they actually implemented his instruction as a parent would his child or a pastor his congregation Likewise, we may take this passage to mean that God himself will instruct us and keep his eye on us, for we are his people. Fellowship now being restored, the Forgiven sinner will need instruction, will need oversight. We will need that to ensure that we don't get into trouble again and don't accumulate the burden again. God would have us educated in holiness and righteousness. As a Christian, you know when you have unconfessed sins in your life how hard it is to go to the Scriptures. Uh, It's not when I want to read my Bible. It's not when I want to pray. I avoid that. I don't want to use that blood pressure cuff when I might think my blood pressure is high. If I think it's low, I, I don't mind getting on the scales if I thought I lost weight. But I somehow don't want to get on it if I'm suspicious that I've put on a few. I don't want to know the truth. You don't want confirmation of what you already know. And so we cease to study Scripture and cease to pray to be instructed by the Lord. But let me tell you this for the one who has been forgiven, that's all changed now. The text, in effect, says, Don't be a beast. Understanding is one thing that separates man and beast. So don't act like you're devoid of it by remaining in your sins. Are you hard-headed like a young horse that wants to go his own way? Or are you like an old mule who's stubborn and set in your ways? They see you coming and one takes off and the other one sits down. Neither one of them will come near to you on their own. And if you're like either of these, when it comes to the sins in your life, then expect a bit and a bridle from God. It's a shame that we often must be chastened by God before we will draw near to Him. He might be pleased to chasten you as a parent does his child with words of reproof or rebuke, Or worse, by bringing some physical or emotional pain. Or he may leave you to the full consequences of your sins sometimes. As Paul admonished the Corinthians to deliver the sinful man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. He who runs away from God's willing service will likely fall into his compulsory service. So it's better to come than to face the, the bit and the bridle. And then finally, the results of these blessings, verses 10 and 11. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Uh, that's the end of the story. You get to jump over. How does, how does this story end? Well, there's two endings. There's the ending for the wicked. Okay, Sorrow. Ending, uh, ending for the godly. Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So, first, the wicked are warned. Who are the wicked? We don't use that word very much. Sounds kind of strong. That's because we're usually trying to lighten our sins, right? We don't want to use strong words. Well, in this text, the wicked are anybody who harbors unconfessed sin. That's wicked. Though you think yourself righteous and not so bad, God says that's wicked. And you're wicked when you do that. And there, and here is what you may expect as a result of your wickedness. Sorrow and more sorrow. Misery upon misery. He who sows sin will reap sorrow. That's the fruit. Some of the sorrows you can expect to feel are sorrows of family and friends, broken families, wayward children, hurt friends, severed relationships, sorrows of disappointment, sorrows of conscience, sorrows of fear, depression. So, why do you remain out in the storm when there is a hiding place so near? Romans 2 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. But if you won't retreat unto him, there is no safety. The criminal may be pardoned, but he might be returning to a world that scorns him. His name is tainted, his reputation's ruined. He ceased from, be, from perhaps the legal penalty of his guilt but where can he find room and board? He might feel compelled to return to his former associates since they're the only ones that will accept him. He might find no friendly person to instruct him or guide him. Even worse, he has no peace within, no change of heart. Left to himself, he's as broken as he ever was. But the sinner who has fled to Christ for pardon finds all that he needs all of it why because he's surrounded by loving kindness the grace and mercy of god christian friends a home in the congregation of god's people eternal oblivion for your past sins victory over all your enemies safety in your savior what a joy the forgiven sinner experiences And so he says, be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. I thought about it. I think sometimes, uh, being good Presbyterians, we're perhaps overly restrained. Um, There is a time to let the restraint go. And I think that's not just a privilege but a duty. Certainly we serve a generous God who makes joy... A part of our obedience. Here's what I command you to do. Be joyful. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. We should... um, Those who have been purged and washed of their sins are at liberty from their bondage to sin and are overcome with joy. Notice too that this is not a hidden joy. It's a demonstrative joy. We sometimes whisper our praise very properly when a hearty outburst of song would be better. That guy's crazy. What's, what's wrong with him? We should then we should, when godly men and their joys step over the boundary of propriety. Not do as Michael, Saul's daughter, did. You remember when David danced before the Lord and she eyed him with kind of a sneering attitude? That's disgusting. Look at him dancing around out there. The upright in heart are commanded to shout for joy. So I'll remind you of that when we sing the doxology today. So, the time of these blessings is now. His mercy can be had by you today. Whether it's the first time or the thousandth time. The place of these blessings is Christ Himself. He is our hiding place. And He said, He that comes to Me, I will in no wise cast out. The way of these blessings, by willingly coming to Him, not like the horse and the mule, And he will instruct you, counsel you, and watch over you. And the result of these blessings? Joy. Shouting. Singing. Relief. Let's pray. O perfect Heavenly Father, you have promised forgiveness to all who confess and forsake their sins. Unlike us, you are a covenant-keeping God, and we therefore come before you naked but confident knowing that you will once again forgive our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness for Christ's sake o oh lord how inclined we are to set limits on our forgiveness of others especially of those who have sinned against us personally give us the mind of christ and remove all barriers to our willingness to forgive In daily relationship with wives, husbands, children, members of the congregation, and those with whom we work, let us be in the position of extending forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. Remind us of your forgiveness of us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the Lord acts, as the Lord... Does things for us as he loves us and gives himself for us. The way we know that, the way we know that that has been done to us or for us, is that it's seen in how we then live and how we interact with other people. It bears fruit. You cannot have an encounter with the living God and be unchanged. You cannot. Have had your sins forgiven and your burden lifted without it completely changing you and changing how you see others and how you live. And because of the forgiveness we have in Christ, we are obligated out of sheer gratitude to Him to extend that forgiveness to others. And I emphasize the word that forgive, the word that not just some kind of forgiveness okay not some light or cheap forgiveness not the ki- but, but rather the kind of forgiveness that you received from Christ the kind that makes the person who sinned joyful because of what you've done in forgiving them the kind that restores relationships The kind where you sit down and have a meal together like we're about to do with Christ. He doesn't say, I forgive you, but you really get on my nerves. Just stay over there. I'm still a little hurt. No. Come here. Of course I forgive you. I paid all the debt. It's canceled. It doesn't exist. The balance is zero. Two passages of Scripture. Just listen. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, that would be you, holy and beloved, that's you. Now here's what I want you to do. Because why? You're elect and you're holy and you're beloved. Put on tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. Humility. Meekness, long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another, or I like to say putting up with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, you got any complaints? Any complaints about anybody at your house? Mom, dad, kids, husband, wife? If you have a complaint... Against another, I want you to forgive, even as Christ forgave you. So you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or maturity. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's where peace starts. not out there it starts right here to which you to which also you were called in one body and oh yeah one more thing and be thankful wow <laughs> no wiggle room no escape hatch no way to avoid the implications of that for me or you one more, just to reinforce this, Ephesians four twenty-nine through 32. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, zero corrupt words out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary building up or edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all... Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All those bad feelings, all those hurt feelings, those went away when my sins went away. He took that, all that too. And then this last verse and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And again if it stopped there we might have a little wiggle room but God's always careful that we don't have wiggle room be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you that's the standard that's the bar wow you're going to need some holy spirit for that you're going to need a lot of grace you're going to need to be empowered with supernatural power to do that. So let's come eat with our Savior who forgave all of our sins, canceled all of our debts, and says, come, let's have a meal together. Our great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments, you are the faithful one. For you in your mercy condescended to us, you sent your Son that we might have a mediator, that we might be saved from our sins, and that we might have peace with you. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant. And we bow with grateful hearts and ask that you send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength. Help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. And so we have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life, Our lips shall praise you. Thus we will bless you while we live. We will lift up our hands in your name. Our souls shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And our mouths shall praise you with joyful lips. Bless this Lord's day for your glory. Bless our resting and our feasting. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen.